Hello, Regeneration. We continue our Ephesians study. Uh, the hope is to finish chapter one before our Advent series, and then to finish chapters two and three before Lent. And the reason why it's broken down in this way is really wanted to focus on chapters one through three before we get to chapters four through six, and hoping that taking that time and going through Advent and going through Lent to really focus on chapters one through three will really help us understand better uh, what we are to become in chapters four through six. But it's, it's so important, as pointed out last week, that we realize what God, ha God has done for us through his grace. And it's, it's just really important for us to understand that before we do anything um, for God. You see, what we are to do is, is founded on all that God has al already done. And that, that's the focus of chapters 1 through 3. And if it's done out of order in that we focus on chapters 4 through 6 first in all the things we're supposed to do as Christians, we'll find that we're going to be quite discouraged and quite frustrated with our relationship with God because we're not really understanding the dynamic of the relationship first, what God accomplished through Jesus Christ first before we become who we become. And God is the one who initiated this love before we were even created, that God reveals himself. Now I realize that there are people who claim that there is no God because he can't be proven intellectually or investigatively. And nor can he be proven if we just simply look inside of ourselves that meeting God is not based on how smart one is or logical or reasonable one is. But meeting God, supernatural, is, it's divine, it's through revelation, and it's not dependent on you. God makes himself known to us through his written word in the Bible, through the living word in Jesus Christ. To know God will be through these revelations of his word in the Bible or the word in Jesus Christ. If God initiated love, reveals himself, then what is our part? To believe. Believe. We, we are to believe. And as the Holy Spirit convicts us of the truth of the gospel, will we believe? Will you apply the truth of the gospel to yourself? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, makes clear to us that the only way to resolve us of our sin is through Jesus Christ. And believing this is not anything based on worldly wisdom, but only in the power of God. When we share this good news with people, it's, it's exclusive of our own merits. We didn't do anything to earn this favor. We, we didn't make ourselves a Christian. We were made a Christian. It wasn't by force. It was... Revelation. We were convinced of who we were. And we believed in the good news that who we once were, far away from God, could be changed. And that we would be adopted into his family, into God's family, verse 5, to be his child and, and have all the privileges of being his child. That there's no knowledge of this without being in the beloved, verse 6, in Christ. Take a look. 
with me to Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God the Father called Jesus his beloved Son at the baptism here, and again at the transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When we are in the beloved, in Christ, we are God's. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The love God has for Jesus, his beloved son, is the same love that God has for you and for me as his children. This is really, really amazing to me. Take a look at John chapter 17, starting in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That, that's incredible. That is an amazing love to think that God loves you and me the same as he loves his only son, Jesus. And, and maybe you have a hard time understanding this because I sure do. It, it's so undeserving and it's so humbling. It's so amazing. I have a really hard time grasping this because who loves like this? No one loves like this. Everything in our life is a meritocracy, whether it's a career you're trying to, to get or, or, or money that you're trying to make or the education that you're trying to receive or the colleges you're trying to get into, it's always tests and how well you do in school, the homework, how well you do in your job. Everything is graded or judged. But only God, only God loves like this. That in Christ you are loved with this eternal love. You're given this eternal grace. And it's just a wonder. It's such a wonder that we have this redemption in Jesus, which is the very core of the gospel. And so let's take a look at verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We are redeemed by Jesus. We have gained freedom through a payment. Now, in order to get a better picture of this, we need to go back to Exodus for some background. And so Exodus chapter 6, let's read verses 5 through 7 here first. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now fast forward, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. They will live because the Passover lamb died in their place with the blood over the doorposts and the lintel. They were redeemed. They were passed over with a payment by the Passover lamb's life. And this is the background of what Paul is writing to us in Ephesians about redemption. That we have a Passover lamb in Jesus who paid the price for our redemption in that his blood was on the doorposts and on the lintel. And what happened with the people in Egypt to set them free from slavery, to set them free from bondage through this Passover lamb was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ's work as our Passover lamb on the cross, the lintel and the doorpost. Now in Exodus, they were enslaved to Pharaoh. They were in bondage to Egypt, set free by the blood of the Passover lamb on the lintel and the doorpost. And we are enslaved to Satan, in bondage to sin, set free by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, our Passover lamb, redeemed by Christ's blood. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, declared in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, our Passover lamb, who redeemed, who made a way for our exodus. Now there's something that's fascinating to point out at the Mount of Transfiguration. If you turn to that story in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 30, it reads this. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Keep that in mind, departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now this word departure in the Greek is the word exodus. That Jesus spoke of his exodus with Moses and Elijah, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And what did Jesus accomplish in Jerusalem? That he made a way. He made a way when there wasn't a way to God. That he, he bridged this chasm that he he bore the wrath of God that we sinners deserved and he he pierced this darkness to to show forth the light that he tore that veil in the temple to reconcile us to God that there wouldn't be any separation anymore Jesus took on our judgment to fulfill the scriptures take a look at Matthew chapter 20 starting in verse 26 it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. And it's at the cross where that redemption happened for us. That it's done. That our redemption is now complete. It it is finished. You see, Jesus Christ didn't come to die in order to then tell us what we have to do in order to become Christians. Because we can't make ourselves Christians. Jesus came to do it all. He paid it all. And on the cross, the consequences of our sin, they are paid for by Christ, that Jesus Christ bore our penalty for sins, that God cannot overlook sin. He does not overlook sin. It is a very, very serious separation. Serious enough for God to have this eternal plan of salvation for us through his only son, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. Now in Christ, he equips and he empowers us to deal with sin. In Christ, we are saved. God cannot overlook sin. And even though Jesus was sinless, he gave his life as a ransom for many. And this, I admit, is a challenging thing to grasp. And part of the reason it's so difficult to understand is that it confronts our sin. Sin that I think most people are ready to admit that they have because I personally have never met someone who claims to be perfect and has never sinned. I think where the challenge lies is what happens with that sin, the consequences of sin. And so when we look at the thief on the cross next to Jesus, he said this in Luke chapter 23, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. See, people know that they're sinful. They just don't think that their sin has the consequences the Bible says that it has. And they don't think that Jesus is the only way to be ransomed from this sin. They don't believe Romans chapter 6, 23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. They don't believe John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know today that your sins need to be forgiven? Christianity is not just a way to live and to have morals so that you can pass on these wonderful morals onto your children and raise your family so that everyone can be successful and through these principles. It's not just a way to experience community all around you. Even though you do get these things, you do get these wonderful morals, you do get this wonderful community, but you can have those things without having salvation. You can join almost any other religion to learn these sorts of things. But it's not reconciliation with God. In Christ, we are saved. We are blessed. We we have redemption through his blood. And and you look at the description of his grace in verse 7. Riches of his grace, continuing on to verse 8, which he lavished upon us. These words, they're just amazing. You know, God's grace, it's, it's an unending pour. It's, it's 
overgenerous. It's inexhaustible. It is lavished upon us. It's not rationed. It's not just kind of given to you piece by piece and just worried that, that there's not enough of it. See, God's not holding any of it back. He's gracious that no matter what, he, he loves you. This is, this is so powerful to know, to, to know that no matter what, God loves you. One of my daughters, she had a really difficult time recently because um, an adult, one of the parents of her friends, called her a scammer. And it just took everything in me not to just walk over to that house and confront that person. Um, but then I had to pause and I had to think that, you know, it's not the adult that's important to me, it's my daughter. So then I, I called my daughter over and I sat her on my lap and then she's crying. And I told her, you know, um, no matter what, I love you. That even if it were true that you're a scammer, which is not the case, in this certain case, maybe later, but that I love you, even if this were to be true, that I love you. Because it's not based off of what you do. It's not based off of Ephesians chapter 4 through 6. My love for you is even before you were born. It's Ephesians 1 through 3. That you always have my love because you're my daughter. You didn't do anything for it. You, you didn't have to do anything. You can't do anything. You're just this kid. And it's really important for her to know my love for her, chapters 1 through 3, before she does chapters 4 through 6. Before she is or is not a scammer and then how to deal with that stuff. She really needs to know chapters 1 through 3. She really needs to know her father's love for her. Are you in Christ? Do you know the love that God has for you? Do you know the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon those who are his? Now, God is not saying there isn't a price for sin. Obviously, there is. That if she's a scammer in the future, then there are consequences to that scamming. It doesn't change my love for her, though. I'll always love her. But here's the thing with God. There is no amount of sin that God cannot forgive. None. That's how gracious he is. But being in Christ, Jesus Christ pays for our sin according to the riches of His grace. The inexhaustible grace. The never-ending grace. Not out of the riches of His grace. It is not out of His riches because then that could mean just a minimal amount that He can just be, you know, out of my riches I'll give you five pounds of it. Some measurement. It's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say it's according, according to his riches, meaning there's no minimum, there's no maximum. There are no limits. Wherever you find yourself this morning, God has more grace for you. It's limitless. Continuing on in verse 8, 
in all wisdom and insight. That God is the one who grants wisdom. He grants insight to the believer. He, he gives us wisdom and insight not given to unbelievers. And you can ask around. Ask around just these questions about life, these life questions, and you'll be able to gather what the believer believes and what the unbeliever believes. The believer believes we are purchased by God's redeeming grace. And this wisdom and this insight is given by God. It is according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. You ask people about what they think about when the earth ends, when life on earth ends. And most people believe this, that it's not going to be forever, whether it's global warming or whatever it may be, that there are all these people like an Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos that are planning for this space exploration and living on other planets or living in space stations, that people are doing all sorts of stuff, preparing to live on other planets because they're fearful of what's going to happen to ours. But the Bible tells us what's going to happen. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And the believer receives this according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And we take these truths given to us by God and we act upon them. We take these truths, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, and then we act upon them, Ephesians chapters 4 through 6. Continuing on, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of God's will. The mystery of God's will is a secret. It's a secret that will only be known when God reveals it. You see, there were so many mysteries in the Old Testament that were then revealed to us through Jesus. The mysteries of God's will are to be understood by believers, but they're indiscoverable by the unbeliever. Our help to discover the mysteries are from the Holy Spirit, from the Word of God. You take a look at Luke chapter 24. This is when Cleopas and his buddy, they're walking to Emmaus. This is after Jesus' death. It's about a seven-mile journey, and they don't recognize Jesus as Jesus kind of comes alongside them and joins them and starts talking with them and then picking up the story in verse 17. And he, Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Now skip down to verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now listen carefully to this. And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted them to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Think about this. They've had these scriptures all along. They've had what Moses and the prophets wrote all along. What did they need? They needed Jesus. They needed Jesus to walk alongside them and interpret for them these scriptures. They needed the living word to tell them about this written word. So many people have the Bible. There are so many people that have the Bible, but they don't know what it says because it hasn't been revealed to them through the Spirit of God. Many people are literate. They can read the Bible. But making known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will is only revealed to the believer. To the one who believes. His purposes are only fully revealed and understood by the believer. Continuing on in verse 9. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of of time. Time will not run its course under God's authority without all that God has planned being fulfilled. So until what God has said will happen happens, time is still running its course that we are living in this not yet aspect of God that even through all of this time Jesus was crucified resurrected, ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago, and we're still waiting, but God is still in control. Listen to what Daniel the prophet wrote in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And this fullness of time has already come. What we are living in now is this time of grace. That God is so patient, so gracious, so long-suffering for people to come to repentance and to believe in Jesus. Take a look at Galatians chapter 4 starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, had come, it already came. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. For So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are living in these last days. And God's plan from eternity is unfolding right now. 
even though things may seem really chaotic in our world, we as believers know that God is in control. There have been so many other times throughout human history in the past 2,000 years where things have been really, really chaotic. I would even say even more than we are experiencing today. Think about World War II. And we have been living in these last days for these past 2,000 years. And what we're told again and again, even through the scriptures that we've been studying, is to stay awake. Stay aware of the Lord's return. That we've been given this wisdom, we've been given this insight to build our house upon the rock and not on sand. To build upon our understanding of Jesus Christ, who will, continue on to verse 10, unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We come to this wisdom, we come to this insight through revelation, not through our intellect. That God reveals to us his wisdom, his insight. Now some of us, some people, may interpret verse 10 to mean that, you know, unite all things in him means that everyone will be forgiven no matter what they believe. He's going to be uniting all things to himself. That Jesus will bring everyone to himself whether they believed in him or they didn't believe in him or, or not because he'll, he's going to just unite everything to himself. I have a question for those who interpret this particular verse this way because what about the rest of the Bible? What about what the rest of it says? How about Matthew chapter 7 where it's written from Jesus' words? Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Or John chapter 3 verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So what does unite all things in him mean then? God's eternal plan of redemption is at work. And Jesus will put a period on all of it. That the first Adam sinned, Genesis, and what ensued was this chaos and death. Then there's the second Adam, Jesus, who redeemed what the first Adam did and successfully completed what the first Adam failed to do. Now in the meantime... From this second Adam on to present day, we are living in this fallen world. And we as believers understand why this is so, because Satan is still in control of this earth. Now unbelievers have their own beliefs, but believers have God's wisdom. We have God's insight as to why things are the way they are. And then at the end of it all, Jesus fixes it all. Now, when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian believers here, they were a minority amongst a sea of people who worshipped Diana, Diana of the Ephesians. 
the big stadium there that people would be shouting and worshiping Diana and the Christians were an oppressed people. They weren't looked upon very favorably because of their beliefs. They believed in one God. They did not believe in Diana. They, they had a moral uh, leaning towards things, the chapters 4 through 6, which was very contrary to uh, the Ephesians. But Paul wrote these Christians to remind them that God loves you. Before he created the entire world, God loves you, that he redeemed you through Jesus Christ and forgave you of your sins, that God has given you wisdom and insight through the riches of his grace. Now, after you understand all of this, Ephesian church, go do chapters 4 through 6. And chapters 4 through 6, they're not orders. It's a continued wisdom and insight revealed by God to his children through Christ. And so how we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the word of God. And we know that people can just read the Bible like a textbook and they'll miss out on the will of God because it's not revelation. They're depending on their intellect rather than depending on Jesus, the living word, to walk alongside us like he did Cleopas and reveal to us what the word of God says. The importance of the Bible is not just simply living by its principles. Because if it was just that, the Pharisees and the scribes wouldn't have been rebuked by Jesus. It's more than that. It's to... Realize that you are a new creation, redeemed by Jesus Christ, gifted with grace, inexhaustible grace, that you are so loved that this eternal plan of salvation was always for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled by how loving you are, how gracious you are, how long-suffering you are, that even though we are in these last days that 2,000 years ago, Jesus fulfilled so much, and yet because of your grace, mercy, your desire to see many come to repentance, we're here 2,000 years later awaiting for more people to believe in you as you reveal yourself to them. And so, God, I ask, Lord, for your blessing upon our church as we continue to do gospel work, that the seed that we throw out lands on good soil, that it would grow, be fruitful, that we would share the good news of Christ who gave his life as a ransom for many. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, uh, please bring those out at this time and we'll first break bread together and this broken bread symbolizing the body of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ so costly, costing him his life. That Passover lamb. We take this in remembrance of his love for us, his grace for us.
and the fruit of the vine. That Passover lamb's blood was on the lintel and on the doorpost, just as our Passover lamb had his blood on the beams of the cross. And so we take this sacrament in remembrance of what Jesus did and also in remembrance of his promise that even though we are in his last days, we are anxiously, eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. We take this in remembrance of Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for your sacrifice, for your redeeming blood, that you redeemed us, reconciled us to holy God. Lord, please equip your church to continue sharing your good news in Jesus' name. Amen.